Goodreads list. I'm a, I, I love reading, but I have a book list, a to-read to list, which is just out of control. Um, games, podcasts, you mention it. Um, so I'm incredibly compulsive, um, and I am... My strengths finder, if you know strengths finder, I have, like, input, intellection, connectedness, uh, and... Um, those three combined are like a whirlwind of like feeding that compulsion. So this is a sermon for any of you out there who are resonating with this and feeling a little bit like you are pulled and pushed and you, you're just like, I want to live free from this sense of compulsiveness. And I'm, and I'm not just talking about like obsessive compulsive stuff, like, like I pull hairs out of, that's weird, a weird confession, <laughs> but apparently it's an actual thing. I pull hairs out, it's sort of a compulsive tick. Um, but it's not just that stuff, like if you bite your nails, like it's not just that stuff, but it, but it is that stuff as well. But it's just that sense of being pushed or pulled from anything outside of living from that like spark that is within you. Um, and even if you are not a naturally compulsive person like I am, we live in a world where people are paid to design technology, devices, apps to make you a compulsive person. It's called, um, who's a designer here might be, have a persuasive design, you know, where people are paid, they take all the like most recent sort of neuro uh, brain science and be like, how can we make people more addicted to the, the de- their devices and, and apps. Um, tech feeds the sort of compulsive, fractured, distracted existence. Um, and I was at Coffee and Toast, uh, my boy Richard and Andy and, um, and Connor, we were having talking about podcasts, and we were like, oh, you know, have you heard this podcast? Have you heard this podcast? And then Connor, who I know loves music, writes music, is all about music, was like, oh, the thing about podcasts, though, I've noticed, is I haven't been listening to music anymore. You know, and because music doesn't give you that same sort of like, I mean, finding music can, but like just listening to music for the sheer enjoyment of it doesn't give you that same like sense satisfaction of like ticking something off a list, of expanding your like ever growing knowledge and awareness of the world. Um, But this stuff is designed right into our apps. I mean, you think of like those three bouncing little dots, you know, those three bouncing little dots that I'm talking about on Facebook. You send a message, maybe you've made yourself vulnerable. Maybe you've been, like, con- confrontational with somebody, and you've called something out. Maybe you've just put something out there, and you're like, maybe I shouldn't have put that out there. And then you sit there, and you're looking, and these little dots are just bouncing. And you wait. And you wait. And sometimes they stop, and they disappear. And you're like, okay. And they start bouncing again. And you're like, oh, no, they deleted a sentence. And they're writing something else. And you're, you know, like, and maybe you start the habit of biting your nails in that moment. Oh my god! Thanks for the affirmation, Ray. I really appreciate no, no, it. Seriously, this is this is seriously speaking to me. Good, good, good. And so there's there's a few things happening in your brain at this moment. There's sort of the stress of waiting, which is like releasing cortisol, which um, is addictive. And then and then when the message finally appears. There's whether it's like, there's a hit of dopamine, whether it's like what you want to see or not, whether it's like, you know, hits the target of what you wanted to hear or whether it misses it completely, there's this hit of dopamine. And man, these things are designed to play 
on our human needs. And, and people, they're upfront about it as well. Like some of the designers of Facebook are like, we want to get you to spend as much time consciously on our like, platform as you possibly can because your time is money for them. Whether, you know, whether it's not money out of your wallet, but your time is their money. Um, and so, of course, they want to do it. There's this... Um, there's a, a company I was looking at, they're called Dopamine Labs, and they like their service to companies is to be like, we'll take your app and we will like figure out how to send notifications, how to redesign your app in such a way that will give people the most dopamine and cortisol hits that like possibly exist. And this stuff, my friends, my brothers and sisters, is it's just going to get, it's evil, and it's just going to get more and more intense with AI and algorithms and all the rest of it. We are just at the beginning of this. So, that was a little rant on technology. I didn't, I didn't necessarily mean to do that, I'm sorry. Um, but it, it gets me worked up. So, um, we all have things that are like tugging and pulling us. And whether it's, you're like me, it's a list you've created and you feel like you need to cross things off it or, or whatnot. And I'm not talking about actual demands, by the way. I'm not talking about your like university uh, assignments or your projects at work that you need to get done. Like Those are legitimate things, right? Like if you, but it's those things that we feel like they're kind of inside of us, but they're from out and, you know, and we just feel stretched and, and pulled in, in many different directions. Um, there's a, this is an aside, there's a Greek word, um, merimna, which means to be like shattered into pieces. And if you're familiar with um, Jesus and, and Mary and Martha, and Martha sort of gets frustrated because her sister Mary is just sitting and listening at the feet of Jesus. And Mary's, uh, Martha's in the kitchen, like getting all frustrated and angsty. And, and Jesus comes and he's like, he's like, Martha, Martha, you are merimna. You are fractured in so many pieces. You are distracted. Like there wasn't an issue that she was in the kitchen serving. It was that she was in the kitchen serving and anxious and stressed and broken and distracted about it um, rather than just being in the kitchen. Um, and so, I'm, as I said, I'm an incredibly compulsive person. Um, and so I was really, uh, I've been reading through um, the message recently and I came across this and I plastered this on my wall at work because... This just speaks to me. This is Galatians 5, um, 16 from the Message Translation. Paul writes, My counsel is this, live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. goes on. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a Lord-dominated existence? I'm going to read that again. My counsel is this, live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. Why don't you choose to be led by the spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a Lord-dominated existence? How good is that? So what I get out of that is that my living compulsively is opposite to a life in the spirit. A life led by the Spirit. It's the opposite of living a resurrection uh, existence, a resurrection life. Um, so, the I believe you guys are doing the lectionary. Is that right? Yeah. Does he? Yeah. Um, and you guys have some really cool uh, little Lent books that I 
I've got my hold on, got my hands on on some, and so I think this is the reading from that as well. So this is Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter twenty four, um, verses thirty six to forty three. Uh, and a bit of context: so it's Easter Sunday, the tomb is empty. Uh, two people have just walked to a, a little village from Jerusalem. They've walked to a town called Emmaus. It's about a eleven kilometer. Uh, journey, I guess like what, like two hours walking, they get there, it's late, they have some kai with Jesus, Jesus disappears, they freak out, they, I don't know what they were going to do, but they forget whatever it was that they were going to do and like hoof it back that night to Jerusalem, find the rest of the disciples like cowering in a room and they start sharing what's just happened and then we read... As they start talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, peace to you, or shalom. But, why, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, I love this, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of roasted fish and he took it and ate it before them. Man, that's cool. And you, like the language is a little bit clunky, eh, in there, but um, you can tell that Luke compiling this is just like doesn't know how to put what's happening into words. Um, but what really comes across clearly is that Luke is really trying to stress that this actually happened. Um, look at my hands and feet. Touch me. I have flesh and bones. Jesus eats. And a lot of people might um, have a tendency or like to present the resurrection as a metaphor to try and get around the problem of the miraculous, um, which is, you know, I understand that. It's, it's how it's tempting. Um, but when we do that, we create many more problems and myths um, the disciples had nothing to gain from proclaiming a physical resurrection. Uh, and Greek thought, um, which you know, this gospel was sort of rooted and grounded in, had absolutely no concept for a physical resurrection. Uh, they were happy with the idea of an afterlife because Greek thought, this dualism of Greek thought, hated the body. Um, well, some, some of them didn't, some of them did. But you know, they, they were looking for an afterlife where the soul would sort of leave behind this inferior body. Um, so Jesus as a disembodied spirit uh, or life force wouldn't have been controversial at all to the Greek mind. Christianity would have spread far more quickly than it had if that had been the message they were proclaiming, that you know he was just alive in us. Um, Luke was very Greek. He's the only New Testament writer that wasn't a Jew. Uh, and so when he, he's, not predisposed, he's not predisposed to believing in a physical resurrection. Um, and, and the disciples, if you read through Acts, they hung, hang their testimony so many times on the fact that they ate with them, um, which I'm a, I love food, so I think that's awesome. Um, and the early church, um, somewhere along the, right, along the way, we started believing that we die and we go to heaven, but the early church really defended the resurrection of the dead against the beliefs of a culture that believed in an immortal soul going to straight to some afterlife. So that's just a 
little aside, I guess, on the, you know, the importance of a physical resurrection. So what does it mean for us today to affirm Jesus' resurrection? Uh, and Peter Rollins, um, controversial dude, great accent, um, he, he says this, and I, and I like this quote, although he is avoiding the question. Um, you know, when asked, do you believe in the resurrection? He said, without equivocation or hesitation, I fully and completely admit that I deny the resurrection of Christ. Dot, dot, dot. Dramatic pause. I deny the resurrection of Christ every time I do not serve at the feet of the oppressed. Each day that I turn my back on the poor, I deny the resurrection of Christ when I close my ears to the cries of the downtrodden and lend my support to an unjust and corrupt system. However, there are moments when I affirm that resurrection. Few and far between as they are, I affirm it when I stand up for those who are forced to live on their knees, when I speak for those who have had their tongues torn out, when I cry for those who have no more tears left to shed. It's evocative uh, language, right, of denying and affirming the resurrection, um, but it makes a great point. It really drives at home. Uh, though I, for me, it's quite definitive language, like a kind of, it's a label. You know, I, I deny or I affirm the resurrection. Uh, and I much prefer this language uh, that we're going to talk about. Uh, no, stay back on that slide. You're good. Um, we're going to talk about is practicing the resurrection. Wendell Berry, uh, Eugene Peterson have, have used this language and it really resonates with me. And so we're going to pour four, four things briefly out of the passage that I, I see when I'm like, what does it mean for me to practice resurrection? And I see Jesus do four things. One, he shows up and the first thing he says is shalom, peace. You know, he could have said, why the hell do you guys all like desert me? But he speaks peace. Uh, the second thing is uh, he shows up, as we mentioned, in the body. Uh, and so we practice the resurrection when we acknowledge our physical bodies and acknowledge their limitations, accept their limitations. Three, he says this weird phrase where he says, in that translation it says, it is I, myself, uh, literally um, I am he, um, or, uh, or I am I, uh, awkward phrase. Um, so we affirm, but, but his, uh, he knew his identity, that repetition, is like, I know who I am. Um, so we practice the resurrection when we know our identity. Uh, and lastly, and, and my favourite, we practice the resurrection whenever we take pleasure in something without the compulsive need to do it. Just a point about that phrase, I am head, where it says I am head, translators have put the word head there, but what Jesus actually said was, I am. And you'll notice often, and particularly in the Gospel of John, when he says, I am, and people fall over, and, and, and all kinds of funny things happen, but it's because that's the name of God. Mm. So he's actually identified himself as God. That's right. Yeah. Kia ora, thank you. So, um, and so lastly, we practice the resurrection whenever we take pleasure in something without the compulsive need for it. So um, we'll get to that. So number one, we practice the resurrection when we forgive, seek forgiveness, and work towards Shalom. Shalom meaning the wholeness, the well-being, the knit together, the completeness of God. Right? And so he declares peace to them, wholeness to them, well-being to them. Not why did you guys abandon me? Shalom. And so practicing the resurrection is leaning into a peace-filled existence, not living anxiously, 
from erratic compulsions. And so I feel like we like forgiveness is so crucial to that. Like we practice the resurrection when we begin to believe that God forgives us, and then when we try to forgive others and try to forgive ourselves. Like contentment comes from that place of self-forgiveness, I think. Um, when when we can say, I don't need anything more to be whole, to satisfy and fulfill my identity, than the peace, that shalom that God gives me. Number two. We practice the resurrection when we acknowledge and accept our body's limitations. Right, like, like a bodily resurrection resists the temptation towards a disembodied, hyper-spiritual, or abstract faith. Like it grounds it in, the, in our earthiness, and it refuses to bend towards anything else that doesn't... Like God is refusing to be God without us and without our like, fleshiness. Uh, and so for me, when our identity... So that's uh, point three... Even so, like we're talking about technology, right? We have this technology where we can communicate across time and space. Like, that's insane. We can be anywhere. Just by hitting that little, it looks like a little um, paper plane. <laughs> um, we can be anywhere, but so often we find ourselves not in the place that our flesh actually is. Right? Like, we can be emotionally absent, mentally absent. So we live in an age where it's easy to be physically somewhere, but mentally, emotionally, just completely somewhere else. Whether it's because you are, you, you are just absorbed on your device, or you're anxiously thinking about what's happening next week or tomorrow. In the resurrection, Jesus restricted himself to be in this room with these cowering disciples and to be nowhere else. And so I like, we practice the resurrection every time we lean into being fully present where we are, saying no to all of the other places that we could be through modern technology and just being like here now. We practice the resurrection every time you choose to not go through. I love the self-service checkouts, but you practice, we practice resurrection every time we choose not to go through the self-service checkout and look a checkout person in the eye and say, how's your day? How are you going? Smile at them. You know, that is practicing the resurrection, to be present. Number three, we practice the resurrection when our source of identity is in Christ. Right? Jesus, he says, like you say, he says, I am, which means basically, I know who I am. I know all the authority I've been given. I know my connection with God. Jesus' identity is fully retained in this resurrection. And so when our identity is truly found in being the one whom God desires, like when you know, like I know that God enjoys me and loves me, you're practicing the resurrection. Like every time you reject a lie over you and accept God's love for you. And uh, your, your mind is being transformed in that moment. It happens slowly, right? It happens slowly, but um, it happens surely. And I think, like, we can't stop. Like, I know for me, like, I'm like, oh, I can't stop having compulsive thoughts, probably. Uh, I don't know if that's how our brains work, but I can refuse to identify myself with them, right? And so I love reading books. 
And like, if I peel back the layer, like what's in that? Like I want to expand my knowledge. Like how much of my identity is like, is based on like I want to just like know everything. But when I say no, like my identity, like I could never read another book again, never read another podcast again. I know everything I need to know to know that I'm loved and to love. And so I can refuse, I can say no, and I can refuse to identify myself with that. And it's not just like our identity, that that identity is the source of everything that we do. Like, you know, the whole, the Peter Rollins quote, like uh, standing up for those who are on their knees, speaking for those who've had their tongues ripped out, to cry for those who have no more tears left to give. Like if, if, if we try and do that in our own strength, like I almost did a Brock Turner and said we're fucked, but um, <laughs> I won't end the sermon with that, otherwise you'll forget everything. <laughs> like, whatever little corner of the kingdom you're passionate about, like, bringing about change, if your identity is not found in the beloved child and anchored in the power of the risen Christ and living from that place within you, you'll be impotent to fully bring about that shalom, that wholeness of God. So that's three. Lastly, we practice resurrection whenever we take pleasure in doing something without the compulsive need for it. That's a bit of a mouthful. What do I mean? Jesus sat down and ate a roasted fish. He ate it, of course, to prove his fleshiness, um, partly, but I long to believe that he ate it just because he could, not because he had to. He enjoyed it without the necessity of it, right? And of course, like, we need to eat, so we can't do this with food, but there's so many things that I find I no longer take just, like, simple pleasure and joy out of, because, like, I'm watching a movie thinking about other movies that I could be like, you know, you like bring up Netflix or whatever and you're like, you start watching something and it has no dissatisfaction. No, there's no satisfaction because you're like, what about all the other options I could, what about all the other things I could be watching right now? But remember the good old days when you went to like a DVD store, DVD store, you didn't have IMDb in your pocket to check out what it's like rating was (laughs) and you just like pulled a movie off the shelf and you went home and it was a B grade movie and it was probably like a 6.6, but you just sat down and you enjoyed it. You know, like, because no, you, you've like made your commitment, like, like, I am so glad we still have a DVD store in Island Bay, because I walk down there, not all the time, but I do, and I get DVDs out, and I'm like, I'm limiting myself to like this new release section, so it's already like my, my obsessive compulsive like connectedness has already been like narrowed down to this, and I like walk back and forth and pace, and I'm like, What's it going to be? What's it going to be? And I take one. By the time I'm out there and I'm walking home, it doesn't matter. Like, I've chosen. It's so good. It's so good. It doesn't happen with Netflix, does it? You stop at 30 minutes in and you spend, like, your evening either deciding what you're going to watch or watching, like, 20 minutes of, like, a half a dozen different things. And you go to bed dissatisfied, being like, well, I just wasted an evening. <laughs> Every time you lean into just like taking pleasure in the things and just forgetting everything else, you're leaning into the resurrection. Pure and simple joy. That, do you remember that childlike resurrection joy when you had, when you just did stuff when you were a kid just because you wanted to do it? 
man, that's so good. Like I was like thinking about puzzles the other day. And puzzles are probably not very good for me because of my excessive compulsiveness. Because once I start a puzzle, I have to finish that puzzle. But like I haven't done a puzzle in so long because I'm like, it doesn't, it's not like I'm not ticking anything off a list. I'm not getting anything productive done. But man, I should probably just like try and do a puzzle. We practice the resurrections when our habits, our decisions, our ways of thinking come more from that life-giving spark, that life-giving Holy Spirit within you than some compulsion pushing and pulling you. So those four things. Uh, first one being, when we practice that shalom, when we work towards shalom, we forgive, we receive forgiveness, we forgive ourselves. Number two, we practice res- res- resurrection when we acknowledge and accept the limitations of being here. We practice resurrection when our identity is so in Christ that we don't need to do the things that are pushing and pulling us to feel like we are complete. And we practice the resurrection whenever we take pleasure in something for the pure joy of it. So, but I often wonder, can we actually be free? I don't know about you, because it, it, sometimes it, it's easy for me to like just close my mind to new possibilities and just think, actually, this is how I am wired, this is how I've been, nothing's going to change. And, and compulsive habits and desires, they say to you, you need me to feel complete, whether it's conscious or unconscious. It's like, you need this fix, you need to do this, to be satisfied, to be whole. But following the leading of the Spirit, we learn that the Spirit takes us into a wide place where we're like, actually, there's so much more out there that can satisfy. And, and that, that spark, that's like to be like walking with the Spirit is to have the imaginative power to believe in like a different way, to believe that there are other things that can meet those needs. And so that's why I like this phrase. Um, do you want to go back to the first like the title one. I like this phrase, practicing resurrection, because it kind of acknowledges that this is not going to happen overnight, that we make a choice each day. And it takes all the pressure off, right? Rather than this language of like affirming the resurrection and, and actually living it out. It's like, I, today I choose to practice the resurrection. And maybe you fail, but tomorrow you can choose to practice the resurrection. to live into and work for and say yes to God's shalom, his wholeness, his peace, his well-being, his forgiveness. And so freedom is possible, but we need to acknowledge there's a lot working against us. Like I mentioned at the start, there are corporations out there making money off your time from your compulsive behaviours, whether you know it or not. And so choose each day, choose tonight. Like if you've been feeling, if this is resonated with you, choose. As we come to the table uh, later, a meal that's so often framed in light of Christ's death, let's frame it in light of the resurrection, in light of like the freedom that this meal gives you. And choose to believe that the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, transformation is possible. And if you're having like a crisis of imagination and you can't imagine living any other way, that's why we're a body, right? Like we have brothers and sisters who can imagine for you and believe for you. So I think we're going to go into a time of worship. And then communion. And then I'm going to 
bless you guys with a benediction of freedom and life. Hallelujah.